Two weeks ago, I knew that I would uh, be uh, taking a quick trip up to New York. It was an opportunity to help my son move back to Tampa for a time. But more than that, it was an opportunity to see my mother, who is 96 years old, and during COVID had to go to the hospital because of pain in her body. And from that point on, no one was able to see her, touch her, or talk to her. And uh, she regressed and is now in a nursing home. And again, uh, her, some of her faculties have been failing. It's very hard to have a conversation with her on the phone. Uh, even when she talks, uh, it's hard for her to get her words out in a way that makes sense. Every once in a while, she'll have a bright spark, and for a moment or two, uh, she'll communicate clearly. Uh, but it's, it's been a little difficult, to say the least, mentally and emotionally, knowing your mother and her age uh, state is uh, secluded, sequestered in a nursing home. And so I'm sure you all understand I jumped at the opportunity to drive to New York. Uh, we did 2,000, over 2,500 miles in about three to four days. But it gave us the opportunity to stand outside of a nursing home window and see her. And I would love to say that she was overjoyed, but she was having one of those times where she didn't really recognize. Um, and, and so it was difficult. But I thank God for the opportunity. And uh, there are so many people in this time and in this crisis that are hurting in different ways. America needs the church of Jesus Christ to be everything that the church of Jesus Christ can be. What America doesn't need is for the church to be divided. What America doesn't need is for the church to be asleep. What the America doesn't need is for the church to be passive, and she absolutely doesn't need the church to be silent. I believe every American is blessed with the right to speak into our government by the system of voting. While I don't believe that uh, a democracy is the ultimate system, a theocracy is, and that will only work when God recreates the heavens and the earth and Jesus is ruling over everything. Can I get an agreement? A, a democracy is not God's system of government necessarily. It isn't. But I believe that on this earth, at this time, a democracy is one of the best systems. The problem with a democracy, it's we the people, and too often it's not God Almighty. And the Bible says that in the last days, uh, there will be an increase of lawlessness. So that means a greater percentage of we the people will become lawless, and therefore we the people will put into legislation things that are contrary to the ways of God. This is not a time for the church of Jesus Christ to be wimpish. This is not a time for the church of Jesus Christ to be silent. Nor is it a time for us to be polarized and fight each other because of political issues. But nonetheless, the greatest way that we can bring change 
and, and a spiritual transformation to our nation is by us getting in divine order and alignment with God and his word and the church of Christ, of Jesus Christ, expressing itself first through the most powerful vehicle that we have, and that is through the vehicle of prayer and intercession. Amen. I mean that with all my heart. I am not a professional preacher. This is my life. I don't do this because I get paid. I do this because I have been called from my father and there is a calling on my life to speak the truth. You and I have more power than presidents. You and I have more people than the majority that uh, may vote one way or the other. When you and I take a knee before the cross of Jesus Christ, and not only a knee, both knees, and not only both knees, but we lay with our face on the ground before Almighty God, and we have repentance and humility in our hearts, there is nothing that all the kingdom of darkness can do, and there is nothing that the majority of the masses can do that will stop God or put God in a box. Can I get an agreement? Amen. I want to show a video clip this morning. It is a secular video clip. It is, uh, it is not, it doesn't have a leaning towards the right or to the left. This is purely a trailer. It's called Social Dilemma. And maybe a few of you may have actually watched this documentary, which has just recently come out on Netflix. Saying what I'm about to say could probably get this sermon canceled off of Facebook and even YouTube. And don't think that is preposterous or beyond the realm of possibility. There are a number of things that I have done from this pulpit that have been banned on YouTube and taken off of Facebook. And I'll get into that more in the ensuing weeks. But I want you to see this trailer because what's happened is that some of the designers and the tech whizzes behind things like Google, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and other forms of social media and those respective platforms have come out together collaborating that they realize that there needs to be some type of supervision because what is happening behind the scenes, most Americans are totally unaware of and it is shaping and forming and polarizing our nation more and more so. It feeds conspiracy theories. You say, well, pastor, you don't believe that there are, cons there are genuine conspiracies? Oh, yes, I do. From the very first fall in the heaven, Lucifer spread a conspiracy and a theory against God, and he defaulted and confused one-third of the angels and that lying subtle ability of his has not gone away he will be dealt with at the end of the age but it hasn't gone away 
And he is still looking to subvert the minds of people and to turn them against the ways of the kingdom of God. You and I are living in a very, very tumultuous time and a very, very important time. And so I'm going to take a moment and we're going to play this trailer and I highly recommend that every one of you watch this documentary. Um, it is about how through social media, where in the past businesses have manufactured or produced a product and sold a product to the public, the public has now become the product and they profile you based on everything you view, every click you make, absolutely everything is monitored and then they have all of these different profiles and they sell you off to advertising companies. You have become the product. The things you watch are being engineered and being fed to you to lock you into an extreme position so that you fit into a neat profile so that they can market you. We are living in a time where the powers of darkness are setting up circumstances that go beyond even the wickedness or the ingenuity of man. Some of these things are stumbled onto and they don't start with the intent that the enemy is now using them for. And when you watch this documentary, you'll hear these uh, engineers talking about our motives were simple, our organization's motives were innocent, but it created an animal and now this animal is out of control. And so I'm going to ask my media team to dim the lights and we're going to watch a quick trailer uh, of this documentary. Thank you. When you, when you go, go to Google, Google and type in climate change is, you're going, going to see different, different results depending on where you live and the particular things that Google knows about, about your interests. That's, That's not, not by accident, it's a design technique. What, what I, I want, want people, people to know is that everything they're doing online is being watched, is being, being tracked. Every single action you take is carefully monitored and recorded. A lot, a lot of people think Google's a search box, and, and Facebook's just a place to see what my friends, friends are doing. What they, they don't realize is there's, there's entire teams of engineers whose job is to use your psychology against you. I was the co-inventor of the Facebook like button. I was the president of Pinterest. Google, Twitter, Instagram. There were meaningful changes happening around the world because of these platforms. I think we were naive about the flip side of that point. We get bored by parts like thumbs up, and we conflate that with value, and we conflate it with truth. A whole generation is more anxious, more depressed. I always felt like fundamentally it was the force for good. I don't know if I feel that way anymore. Facebook discovered that they were able to affect real-world behavior and emotions without ever triggering the user's awareness. They are completely clueless. Fake news spread six times faster than truths. We're being bombarded with rumors. Everyone's entitled to their own facts. There's really no need for people to come together. In fact, there's really no need for people to interact. We have, we have less, less control, control over who we are and what we really believe. 
If, if you, you want to control the population of country, there has never been a tool as effective as Facebook. We built these things and we have a responsibility to change it. The intention could be, how do we make the world better? If technology creates mass chaos, loneliness, more polarization, more election hacking, more inability to focus on the real issues, we're toast. This is Checkmate. I want to stress to you, this is not a Christian documentary. This is a secular documentary. This has nothing to do with Christianity. It has everything to do with the society that has been sculptured and crafted that you and I naively are a part of. I highly recommend everyone watch this documentary. We have uh, uh, Jade who, you know, he helps us to live stream on Facebook and we advertise on Facebook. And he has even been trained in some of the algorithms and how they work uh, on Facebook so that you could use them for advertising purposes. And coincidentally, or God incidentally, he and his house last Sunday night turned on Netflix and watched this documentary, and I, in my house, turned on Netflix and watched this documentary. And Monday morning, he started to say, hey, I watched something. I said, I know. He says, I think you should all watch it. I said, I agree. And he's looking at me as if, you know, this is getting a bit spooky. I knew straight away. The moment he opened his mouth, I knew straight away that he had seen it. And we started to talk about it. I asked him deliberately to pull this trailer so that I could arouse your curiosity. We are living in a physical world surrounded by a spiritual realm. And if ever the church of Jesus Christ needs to wake up, it is not business as usual, and it's not just about politics. It's about powers of darkness behind human minds creating things that even those master craftsmen don't realize are being used for an even more sinister purpose than what they intended. Are you hearing me, church? Absolutely. We're coming into a season where America's about to cast its vote. And so I want, I want to talk about cultural revolution. Revival can be a cultural revolution. But you can have a cultural revolution without revival. And so I'm going to make a couple of statements, and they're going to go up on the screen. Listen, this is going to be a series. I believe this is going to be an extremely prophetic series. I believe that the spirit of offense will try to rise up during this series. I encourage you even now, play the last series over again. <laughs> Anything and everything in us that doesn't line up with the Word of God will probably feel a pinch or an uncomfortableness during this series. I, I am not here to preach about this political party or that political party. Everything I'm going to preach is from a spiritual perspective. And we, the church of the United States of America, is first the church of Jesus Christ. Amen. And our allegiance is to him. 
Nations will come and go. Political parties will come and go. But the one thing that will stand forever, Jesus said, is my word. Not one jot or tittle tittle will perish. I appreciate your agreement, but let me take it another step further. What that means is that if we don't build everything about our lives on the word of God, we will perish. We must build our lives and our perspectives on everything that is Bible because that's the only thing that has come out of the mouth of God. Can I get an agreement? Amen. So here we go. We are at a place of critical mass in America that is a tipping point and a cultural revolution is brewing. We will have either a Christ-centered cultural revolution or a climatic crisis cultural revolution. The question is, Are you part of a cultural revolution that is being led by the kingdom of God or are you being duped into a cultural revolution that is led by the kingdom of darkness? Make no mistake about it. Make no mistake about it. There are two kingdoms vying for power for the power to flow through the streets of the United States of America. A cultural revolution will come, but it will come either by way of repentance and revival in the church, or it will come by rebellion and resistance in the streets. The outcome of either one will be vastly different. Presidents and politicians have no idea of how important the church of Jesus Christ is. You say, well, I don't know if I could totally agree with that. The person I believe in, stop. I don't think the church of Jesus Christ really has an idea of how powerful it really is. And I say that because we as Americans will talk more about politics and be more vested in voting, and I believe every American should vote, but we will be that much more inclined towards those things than we are to come to church for a prayer meeting. We might come for a night of worship because it just jives with our soul and we like the rhythm and we love to worship. But prayer takes on a whole nother category of Christian involvement. And when you get involved in intercession and when you get involved in prayer, it's not just something that appeals to your soul. Praise music can appeal to your soul. Worship music can appeal to your soul as well as your spirit. But intercession is something that the body, the flesh, absolutely despises. Peter, James, John, Andrew, they cast out devils. They healed people in Jesus' name. But at the most critical moment, at the tipping point of the ages, they sat in the Garden of Gethsemane and fell asleep instead of praying with Jesus the Savior. And unfortunately, history repeats itself. 
And you know why it repeats itself? Because the sin nature in man is always the same and Satan who pulls the strings on the sin nature is still the same also. And for those two factors alone, history will repeat itself. And so my question is, we can look at the New Testament and the Gospels and we could come up with all manner of reactions of disdain that the disciples weren't spiritual enough in the most crucial moment. God's about to intervene in a massive way that will literally divide time. And the church that was casting out devils in Jesus' name, having little praise sessions, was asleep when it came time to pray. I told you, I'm going to say things that might just cause the spirit of offense to start whispering in your ear. But I've never been about being popular. I've always been about speaking the truth in love. I love this country. I know at times I say things and in my own mind, if it doesn't come out that way, in my own mind, I fear that at times people might think I'm not very American or I'm not pro-America. I love this country. But I'm going to be totally honest with you. I love other countries too. I love every country. Because I see in every country, whether they are black, whether they're brown, whether they're different shades of brown, whether they are Asian, I see one commonality, and that is the devil has made puppets of all of us. And without Jesus Christ, we're all going to a, a horrific end. Now, that was pretty quiet, but I'm not going to stop. If we really want to be Christians, then we must be the people who follow the words of the Christ. And Jesus said this to the church in his day and age. And again, we can look at the Hebrew uh, religious system of that day and we could turn our nose down and say, well, we would never be like that. If Jesus were here, we would recognize him and we would accept him. I got news for you. There were two main religious bodies in Jesus's time, the Sadducees and the Pharisees. And you know what side Jesus took? Neither. He had things to correct in the Pharisees and he had things to correct in the Sadducees. Let's not be so arrogant that we think we have it all together. Let's be humble enough to know and to pray, God, have your way in me. And anything in me that needs to change, help me to change. In Jesus' name. Can I get an agreement? Now I'm going to make a very bold, bodacious, maybe offensive statement. I believe it with all my heart. You see, from the beginning in the garden, after Adam and Eve broke from the word of God and broke divine order, and rather than obeying the word of God, they wanted to eat from a tree that gave them knowledge that was alternative to the knowledge of God. Any knowledge of evil, when you read it in the Hebrew text, this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, in the Hebrew it says that the knowledge of evil was knowledge that was contrary to the knowledge of God. 
And when you break from the Word of God and you accept another system or ideology or uh, feasibility, we have already stepped into an arena where Satan is a master. Because it's an arena of deception and lies, and he's a master in that arena. And the only place you and I will be safe is when we stay in the arena of the Word of God. Amen. Amen. The truth will set you free. Not variations of the truth. Can I get an agreement? So I'm about to make a, a statement, and I want everyone to quietly say to themselves, I will not take offense. From the garden, Adam pointed to Eve when God finally showed up after they made a mistake. And Adam pointed to Eve and he said, it's her fault. And Eve pointed to the serpent and said, well, the snake you gave us, it's his fault. And one of the immediate things we see after the fall, in other words, one of the immediate results of the sinful nature is that it will not take accountability. Instantly. Something they never did before. Do you think Adam threw Eve under the bus prior to this moment? If he had, he could not have been in the image of God. And Eve wasn't throwing Adam under the bus prior to this. The moment they strayed from the whole truth and nothing but the truth of God's word, error came into their character and into their nature. Sin will deceive, sin will defile, and sin will always destroy. And so right from the beginning in the Garden of Eden... And if I've said Gethsemane in the last couple of sentences, I meant the Garden of Eden. When sin came into the Garden of Eden, one of the consequences of the fall was that people who were supposed to be God's special people stopped taking accountability. So I'm going to make a statement that makes every one of us take accountability. Here we go. America is where America is because the church of Jesus Christ is where the church of Jesus Christ is. If we have the power to bind demons in Jesus' name, and if America is experiencing what she's experiencing, then the church hasn't been standing up in the heavens where they were put immediately after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We love to shout and get excited that we have power and authority over demons. And we do. But I guess not too many of us are taking up our spiritual position because America is in a mess. And we can blame the left and we can blame the right and we can blame all parties and we, we, we can blame whatever we want to blame. The Bible says judgment starts in the house of God. Why? Because God is biased against his own people? No. Because God knows that the answer and the key is in the hands of his people. To whom much is given, much will be required. And accountability starts with the church of Jesus Christ. Now, we sang a moment ago, I believe I am who he says I am. I'm not getting down on me, I'm just getting honest with me. 
And I'm not trying to get down on you. I'm just trying to get honest with you. I'm tired of churches trying to fill their seats by making people always have a feel-good moment. We're so afraid that if people are challenged a little bit, they won't come back. Well, I face that same dilemma. But the bottom line is I give account to someone far bigger than public opinion. Thank you. Thank you. We've shortened our services to such a point where all we have time for is a 30-minute exhortation, inspirational kind of message. And America thrives on this feel-good experience. Just like children want to thrive on candy and ice cream. And it'll give them a lot of buzz. It'll give them a lot of energy. It'll give them plenty of ups. But it's not exactly what a parent wants when they're trying to maintain order in their house. And anyone who's ever been a parent said, amen. amen. It's, a, it's a balanced diet that keeps a child from bouncing off the walls with unspent energy. And it's a balanced diet that keeps the immune system of a child functioning the way it was designed to function. And so I want to take a moment to teach. I want to take a moment to go deeper than our 30 minutes normally lets us go. Because the church of Jesus Christ in America is part of the problem of America. We're called to be the answer. And we are but we have modified what the church looks like to suit the itching ears of a society so that we can fill up our pews and claim title to winning the race of who's got the biggest crowd. I want to remind you that it was Jesus himself who said that in the last harvest, there will be sheep and goat together and God will separate the sheep from the goat. He wasn't talking about the world, he was talking about the church. We've become so concerned about accumulating a mass rather than making sure we're feeding the sheep and tending the sheep so that they don't become goats. Actually, if I'm going to be really honest, I think that comment deserved an even better clap. <laughs> In the midst of being very serious, I also want to keep this real. I'm not angry. I understand I preach and I sound very, you know, tense. I'm not angry. But I do want to call and I have to call. And I'm not just speaking to grace and faith. I am not so delusional that I think our church doesn't have room for improvement. That's the height of arrogance. But I am speaking to every pastor who might hear this, and there might be none. I am speaking to every church member who might hear this, and there might be none. 
And this sermon might not go beyond the 40 minutes that it airs for on Facebook and it might get taken down. But that isn't going to stop me from speaking to the church of Jesus Christ in the United States of America and around the world. If you have your Bible, I want you to turn to Jeremiah chapter 5. You say, well, here we go. I knew he was off the deep end. He's going to the Old Testament. If you have a Bible, you'll notice the New Testament comes after the Old Testament because the New Testament is built on the Old. There's a lot to learn. In Jeremiah chapter 5, who's Jeremiah? Well, he wrote this book. Yeah, he was a prophet. When was he a prophet? He was a prophet at a time where Judah, and, and, and by mere virtue that I say Judah, Judah was meant to mean the people of God who were living passionately and serving God and being, in a, lot, being a light in a world of heathenism and polytheism. Judah was supposed to be synonymous with the praises of God, the word of God, the blessing of God, and a passion for God. And here's Jeremiah prophesying to Judah because they had one successive king after another who had turned from the ways of God and had led the nation and allowed the nation to creep into practices that were not in order or alignment with God's word. Okay, so what am I saying? I'm about to read you something that was written to the church at that time. If we're reading about Judah, we're reading to what was supposed, we're reading about what was supposed to be the people of God, the church of God. We all on board? So is this going to be relevant? Yes, Yes, it is. In, In Jeremiah chapter 5, The prophet says, go up and down the streets of Jerusalem. Now, God is talking to Jeremiah, okay? And he's writing this conversation. And God says to Jeremiah, go up and down the streets of Jerusalem. Look around and consider. Search through her squares. If you can find but one person who deals honestly and seeks the truth, I will forgive this city. Although they say, as surely as the Lord lives, what's God saying? They talk the talk. They speak Christianese. As surely, although they say, as surely as the Lord lives, still they are swearing falsely. They're lying. They're conniving. They're not stretching themselves to find the truth, they're stretching the truth to appease themselves. Although they say, as surely as the Lord lives, still they are swearing falsely. Lord, do not your eyes look for truth? Jeremiah says. You struck them, but they felt no pain. You crushed them, but they refused correction. They made their faces harder than stone and refused to repent. I want to tell you that over the last decade and more, America has without question 
been struck and at times crushed. And while God allowed it, he allowed it that it might shake us so that we would come to him. And church growth analytics and statistics will show you that at the time of 9-11, there was a temporary increase in people going to church. And I stress temporary. And every time we have a major issue or disaster or natural event, there's a slight uptick in paying attention to religious things but it dramatically declines as soon as the sense of danger has gone. And so what Jeremiah is saying about the people back then was that, God, you shook them. You, you, you've uh, corrected them. But they felt no pain. They refused the correction. They made their faces harder than stone and refused to repent. God struck them, they felt no pain. God crushed them, they refused to be corrected. They made their faces harder than stone and refused to repent. Any child will cry when a parent sternly reprimands them. But that's not repentance. My grandkids were out the front here, and one of them is still here. But I noticed... I've noticed with the raising of my own kids, and I've noticed with my grandkids. Kids are kids. And sometimes when a parent just looks at them sternly or raises the voice a little bit, you see the lips quivering, and they look around, and they're wondering, uh, 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 and all of a sudden then we have a watershed. Any child will cry when a parent sternly reprimands them, but that's not repentance. It's only repentance when they turn away from their actions and don't keep doing it. You see, we've confused repentance with an emotion. Repentance is not an emotion. Repentance is a change of direction. So Jeremiah continues to write, watch. God told him, go up and down the streets. Check out the people. So Jeremiah writes after he sees and makes an assessment. He said, everybody's doing their own thing. I thought these are only the poor. They are foolish. They don't know the way of the Lord, the requirements of their God. So I will go to the leaders of the nation, the religious leaders, the political leaders, and speak to them. Surely they know the way of the Lord, the requirements of their God. But with one accord, they too had broken off the yoke and off the bonds, and torn off the, barn, the, the bonds. Now I want you to stop for a moment. Usually we think of yokes and bonds as a negative thing. Bondage. But here Isaiah is saying they had taken off the yoke, not the yoke of oppression, the yoke of being yoked to the Lord. And they had torn off the bonds, not bonds of bondage, the bonds of being in a covenant with God. And I'll prove it to you in just a moment. But I want you to take note of that. I'm going to keep moving, and I want to show you other things. But take note of this phrase. 
He, he says, let me go to the leaders. Surely they know the ways of God. They understand the requirements of God. And Jeremiah's conclusion is that even the spiritual leaders of the nation had uh, uh, broken off the yoke that yoked them to the ways of God and had torn off the bonds of the covenant that they had with their creator. uh, So he goes on and in verse 6, can I have verse 6? Now, everyone, just look at me for a moment. Don't look at the screen yet, okay? Look at me. Judah was in a place of turmoil. Jeremiah was prophesying, guys, if you don't get your act together, God is going to raise up the the, uh, Babylonians and they're going to invade. They've already attacked us once, but Jerusalem, the holy city of God, is going to go next. And if you don't repent and if you don't cry out to God, you will not be able to stop this political disaster that's about to happen. Another nation will invade us and God will use it as a judgment because we did not respond to his stern reprimands or the slight little spank that he gave us. We didn't stop and turn away from our activity and our lifestyle. And so Jeremiah goes first to the people, comes to a conclusion, goes to the leaders and says, no wonder the nation is in turmoil. Even the religious leaders have taken off their yoke to the word of the Lord and they have removed themselves from the bond, that is the covenant that God had taken them in. So this yoke and this bond is not from the devil. It's a yoke and a a bond, a covenant that they were in with agreement with God. Everybody with me? Okay, we're going to keep going. Verse 6, because of this, this is the word of God, okay? We talk about cause and effect in society, there is cause and effect. So you, you, you can talk about the law of cause and effect in physics. There is a cause and there is an effect. And verse 6 is the effect. Therefore, a lion from the forest will attack them. A wolf from the desert will ravage them. Stop. We're talking about Judah. Remember, Israel was God's people. After Solomon, the kingdom divided. Ten tribes became Israel, and two tribes became known as Judah. Israel, with ten tribes, had mostly wicked kings, and they kept going into idolatry and sin. And and Israel is already off the map. Okay, At this point in history, Israel's already off the map. They had one successive uh, evil king, after another, and God allowed them to be invaded, destroyed, and scattered abroad. Now we have Judah still standing. Judah had a number of really good kings, but also a number of bad kings, and they were now in a succession of numerous bad kings in a row. They had disobeyed the ways of God, and Jeremiah is prophesying and saying, guys, you're going to lose your land. You're going to lose your rights. You're going to lose everything. God will bring the Babylonians. They've already attacked us once. They will come and destroy the holy city of God. If history repeats itself, 
If the Old Testament is given to us for edification and for learning because we learn from those who have gone before us, then we need to understand the church could potentially stand in a perilous place if she doesn't stand before the cross and bow and humble itself and pray. He says, because they have broken their yoke, with the word of the Lord, and because they've stepped out of covenant, the leaders, with God, that's why a lion comes from the forest and attacks them. This is symbolic of demonic activity. And you can try to nail the problem down to the left, and you can try to nail the problem down to the right, and you can try to nail the problem down to the police force, and you can try to nail the problem down to this political issue and that political issue. And the bottom line is the issue is sin. And if the issue is sin, then the answer is a move of the Holy Ghost. We, the church, have more power than anybody in this nation. Even the people who hold the highest power of authority hold it for four years until the people vote them back in again. I want to tell you that Jesus Christ voted you in and nobody can vote you out. I am seated in heavenly places with Jesus Christ. There's no prince, there is no king, there is no president that can top that. I'm not trying to preach anti-government. I said, I'm an American and I love this country. And I said, I encourage every one of you to vote. But 10 times, 10,000 times, I'll tell you, pray. Cry out to God. Get serious about being the church of Jesus Christ. I'm not going to live in fear of a pandemic. How convenient that the enemy brings up this pandemic. And I'm not saying it's not real. I know people who came very close to death. I'm not saying that. I am saying it's being politicized to some degree and maybe to a great degree but what I am saying is forget the people players there are spiritual powers that are working wickedness in the heavens around our nation and around the world and those spiritual powers of darkness want the nations of the world to crumble so that the only answer will be a one world government Listen to me, we are living in the last of the last days and this is meant to be the church's finest hour. Never has there been a day where the world and the kingdom of darkness needs to hear the shout and the growl of the body of Jesus Christ. Amen. Hell needs to hear a response, and not from heaven, but from the kingdom of God on earth in the church of Jesus Christ. Good preaching, Pastor Rob. Huh? 
Therefore, a lion from the forest will attack them, a wolf from the desert will ravage them, a leopard will lie in wait near their towns to tear to pieces any who venture out, for their rebellion is great and their backsliding many. Church, I made a statement, I'm going to say it again, and if you have it, to go on the screen, put it on the screen again. America is where America is because the church of Jesus Christ is where the church of Jesus Christ is. If what I'm about to say, I'm going to repeat something Jesus said. If this isn't the absolute truth, then Jesus is an absolute liar. You decide. I've already made my decision. And I already know that what I'm about to say is the absolute truth. The Word of God never exaggerates anything. We have only seen the minimalized effects of the Word of God because we have minimally applied ourselves to the things of God. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world. And salt has the ability to preserve. In fact, if you want to get end time-ish with me, in 2 Thessalonians, Paul says the Antichrist cannot show up on a world stage until that which is holding him back is taken away. It's in the rapture that the church and the Holy Spirit will be lifted off of the face of the earth and because of the salt in us and our preserving power and ability, even the Antichrist, the son of Satan, can't make his debut until the church disappears. So if we have that kind of power, then why is this country in the place that she's at? We can point fingers, but who's your daddy? The first Adam or the last Adam? I was born into the first Adam, but I got born again into the last Adam. And the last Adam set an example of taking accountability. Am I preaching so that we all go home depressed and beat ourselves up and think that we're just the pits of the pits? No, I believe I am who he says I am. What I'm preaching is I am going to be who he says I am. Hallelujah. Can I get an amen? Praise God. Oh, sweet Jesus. Malachi, chapter 2. This is the last book in the Old Testament, and then you had 400 years of silence. By the way, church, everybody look at me for a second. In Bible school, I've been teaching about biblical timelines where in year three, starting to do Bible survey of each book and look at Bible timelines. It's very interesting when you look at biblical timelines. Adam and Eve were created somewhere around 4,000 B.C. Humanity existed for approximately 2,000 years before God raised up a man called Abraham. Around 1656 B.C., 
God had to, uh, sorry, 1656 years after creation, God had to judge the whole world because of mass sin. And we have Noah's Ark and the Flood. And God, before he sent his wrath, rescued those who were walking in righteousness. As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the Son of Man. Okay? I'm not going to be here for when the wrath of God comes. If, you, if we're walking with Jesus Christ, we won't be here for that. But that's not my point. My point is, God dealt with, the, with general humanity for 2,000 years, and then Adam, uh, Abraham came. And then through Abraham, the father of faith, God raises up the, Israel, the uh, Hebrew people, Israel, and for 2,000 years, up until the birth and then the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, he deals with the Hebrew nation, and he starts to transition right towards the end of that 2,000 years, and he deals with the Gentile world. Stay with me. Jesus, two weeks before he went to the cross, was on the mountain on a donkey about to ride into Jerusalem. And the people saying, praise God, praise God, Yeshua, Yeshua, the Messiah. And Jesus weeps. Not out of elation, oh wow, they recognize me. No, he weeps and he says, oh Jerusalem, oh Jerusalem. If you had only recognized the coming of your God. He goes into the temple, tries to clean the temple, and the priests, the spiritual leaders, kick him out. Let me tell you something. The word of the Lord will not always be popular with every preacher. Don't tie yourself to me. Tie yourself to the word of God, but make sure you study the word of God and you know what it's really saying. Hello? In Malachi chapter 2, verse 1 to 9, it says, the book of Malachi is a, is a uh, handbook for revival. And the book of Malachi, while preachers only ever quote from it when they want to take up tithes and offering, the book of Malachi actually addresses the seven sins that were in the priesthood. Now, right now, everybody's feeling a little bit more comfortable and saying, well, that's good. That's them, not me. You are in the new covenant, and every one of us are called to be priests. And so he's writing to the priesthood to repent and to get their lives right. And in Malachi chapter 2, verse 1 and 9, 1 to 9, he says, Now you priests, this warning is for you. If you do not listen, and if you do not resolve to honor my name, says the Lord Almighty, I will send a curse on you, and I will curse what's supposed to be your blessing. I will curse your blessing. Yes, I have already cursed them, because you have not resolved to honor me. Because of you, I will rebuke your descendants. I will smear on your faces the dung from your festival sacrifices. They were carrying out all the religious outward trappings, even down to the sacrifices, and God wasn't pleased. Church, I want you to come to church, but listen to me. I want you to live like the church of Jesus Christ every day of the week. 
He says, you will be carried off with it. You will be carried off. And you will know that I have sent you this warning so that my covenant with Levi. Levi is that tribe that was called to be the priests. And out of the tribe of Levi under the old covenant, there would be a high priest. And when he passed, someone else from the tribe of Levi would be the high priest. Moses' brother, Aaron. They were the Levites from the tribe of Levi. That was their descendancy. They were given the honor to be priests. In Christ, we are all given the honor to be priests. Hello? Okay. He says, uh, I've sent you this warning so that my covenant with Levi may continue, says the Lord Almighty. My covenant was with him. I made a covenant with him. A covenant of life and peace, and I gave uh, them to him. This called for reverence. His part of the covenant was that he was to revere me, have reverence towards me, and stand in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and nothing false was found on his lips. He walked with me and in peace and uprightness, and turned many from sin. The covenant that God made with the Levites was that they would revere him, respect him, honor him, stand in awe of his name, that they would walk in right relationship with him and turn people from wrong thinking, turn people from wrong behavior. That is not popular in the church today. In the church today, one of the main principal ingredients to growing a fast, numerous church is to make sure that everybody leaves happier than how they came in. But we have defined happiness and we have qualified it by getting our way and hearing what we want to hear. Happy is the man who is taught of the Lord, corrected of the Lord, inspired by the Lord. Can I get an amen? Absolutely. So he goes on and he says, watch this here. Um, Turn many from sin. For the lips of a priest ought to preserve knowledge because he is the messenger of the Lord Almighty and people seek instruction from his mouth. But you have turned from the way, and by your teaching have caused many to stumble. You have violated the covenant with Levi, says the Lord Almighty. So I have caused you to be despised and humiliated before all the people, because you have not followed my ways and have shown partiality in matters of the law. Remember Jeremiah said, I went to the leaders, but they too had taken off the yoke, and they had torn the bond, and I stress to you, that wasn't a bondage, a negative bondage or a negative yoke. It can be. Those terms can be used for a demonic yoke or a bondage, but in that scripture, it was talking about 
the spiritual leaders of the nation had walked away from the ways of God and the commands of God, and they weren't practicing it, and they weren't teaching it. And he actually, God actually held the leaders responsible for the condition of the people. Correct? In Jeremiah, he holds the spiritual leaders responsible for the condition of the people. Well, if you're in the priesthood today and you and I are the church and the gates of hell can't prevail against us, don't you think that we have an obligation to come into intercession and stand before God and repent on behalf of this nation, not till it feels good, till there's change and a breakthrough? I was actually waiting for a little bit more. Amen. Look, I'm not preaching this from a place of I've got it all together. Believe me, this is a hard message to preach because I'm preaching to me too. To whom much is given, much is required. And we have to be accountable. And um, <clears throat> it's very interesting. It's very interesting that we are where we are. We the church of Jesus Christ. We're excited because our sins are forgiven and our name is in the book of life. But we don't want to be held accountable to a higher standard of living. And we don't want to say things that will rattle people or potentially offend people. We have allowed the world to dictate a stereotype to us. And that stereotype that demons have inspired through the pens and the comics and the comments of secular people is that whenever you use the word repentance, you have to preach hell, fire, brimstone, get your hair messed up and look like an angry maniac. <laughs> and so the church has done everything to avoid that image. But what we've not realized is in trying to avoid that image, we've avoided the message that has the power to bring deep-rooted change. Amen. It's only genuine repentance that will make a nation right. And you can say to me, does that mean the whole nation will get converted? No, not necessarily. I know this. I grew up in the 50s, a lot of social and civil unrest. I grew up in the 60s, a lot of uh, demonstrations against the Vietnam War, a lot of fighting in the streets. We had racial issues throughout the 50s, early 60s, after the early 60s. <coughs> we had uh, political unrest with people uh, burning the American flag, chanting down with America, uh, resisting uh, and demonstrating against the war in Vietnam. We had a release of moral restraints and sex and love and rock and roll flowed through the streets and hippies and young people were doing their thing, rebelling and acting out. The only way a nation will ever experience a reset is if it has a revival. 
And the only way to have a revival is if the church comes before God with genuine repentance. The, the, the topic of repentance is always with the imagery of violent, nasty, legalistic, angry preaching. And we've avoided talking about what's right and what's wrong because we don't want to fall into that image. The devil drew that image. And yes, there have been naive preachers who have preached legalistically and not from the heart of God. But that doesn't mean that preaching what's right and preaching what's wrong is diabolical. It isn't. It's the key to revival. Listen. Isaiah says very clearly in verse 40, in chapter 40, sorry, he says there will be a voice in the wilderness. Now, not verse 1. Give me... Um, yeah, give me verse 1. That's not verse 1. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Prepare the way for the Lord. The Hebrew text says prepare the way of the Lord. Jeremiah found the people didn't know the way of God and the leaders didn't teach the way of God. And they didn't teach the requirements of God. And the prophet says, there'll be a voice of one in the wilderness and he will prepare the way of the Lord and the highway of our God. Do you know that before Jesus Christ could make his debut, God had to affect the atmosphere. We talked about praise and worship affects the atmosphere to a service. There are spiritual principles Spiritual principles, and we, we ignore them. We keep doing our own thing because it's not convenient to get up maybe 10 minutes earlier and get to church on time. John, John the Baptist came preaching repentance. And after he preached repentance, people came from all over the place. He talked about what is right and what is wrong. Even some of the Pharisees repented and were baptized. And he told people, you can't keep thinking the way you're thinking and living the way you're living. And we're afraid to say things like that in the church because people will get offended and there's too much competition. And besides, the measure of success is how many people are sitting in the seats. Now the measure of success is how much we're looking like Jesus Christ. I can assure you, if you call me next week and you want to have counseling because you've fallen in sin, I'm not going to beat you up. I've never done that. I'm not going to preach condemnation at you. But I will preach what's right is right and what's wrong is wrong. And there is an accounting and we have to be accountable for how we live. Can I get an agreement, church? Yeah. Now I'm going to show you something you've probably never noticed before. And I'm going to tear down a demonic lie and a demonic stereotype that the church has cowered to. Okay? We have cowered to. When Goliath started a taunt, the people of God, the Philistines were on one mountain, the people of God were on the other mountain, and here's the giant taunting. And while the 
Israelites on their side of the mountain might have said, oh, you know, and they might have stirred themselves up. Nobody was stirred up enough to go and face the giant. The battle was going to be decided by who the victor would be in that hand-to-hand, face-to-face, mano-a-mano combat. God's looking for people who won't just stand on the mountain and have church. He's looking for warriors who will go into the valley in the face of the enemy and say, thus says the Lord. Okay? So watch this. I'm going to show you something, and I'm going to tear down a stereotype about preaching repentance. Repentance isn't about getting all emotional and crying and, you know, until you feel better and you feel like your guilt is gone. Repentance isn't about beating people up. Repentance is preaching truth and teaching the ways of God so that people can change the way they live and sustain the change. Repentance is a change of action. So watch this. In Isaiah 40, we just read verse 3, a voice of one calling in the wilderness. And you all know John the Baptist came and preached repentance. Amen? Watch what precedes verse 3. This is how God does repentance. This is how God preaches repentance. We all don't have our faces in the Word of God enough to know how God acts. And we've allowed the world and we've allowed sinister people and we've allowed demons to ridicule us so that we're not willing to stand up and take action on the one thing that has the power to change the spiritual climate. And that's calling people to repentance. Watch this. If we look at verse 1, can I have it on the screen? Just before verse 3, when he says there'll be one in the wilderness preparing the way, this is what he says in verse 1. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sins have been paid for, that she's received from the Lord's hand double for all of her sins. Next verse. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. God said, there's going to be a man and he's going to call people to repentance. But he's going to call them to repentance and he's going to comfort them. He's not going to beat them up. You see, we haven't allowed the word of God to show us what the call of repentance looks like. We've allowed our fear to be dictated to by stereotypes of people who are off the wall or people that are inspired by demonic spirits. The call to repentance is a father calling to his kids. Come on, hear me. Come on, don't do that. That's not the way to go, and that's not the way to live. And what we need in the pulpits in America and what preachers need is that we start holding ourselves accountable to the Word of God. Calling one another to be accountable to the lifestyle of God's Word is not about beating each other up. It's about loving each other that we will speak the truth in love. We don't preach repentance from an attitude of, I've got it all together, and you don't. We preach repentance from an attitude of, you know what, I've been saved by grace, and it's only the grace of God. 
and we are all capable of mistakes. I'm not here to judge you for what you've done wrong. I'm here to help you understand it is wrong, but it's okay. If we turn, if we change our beliefs about that activity, and if we cry out to God, he will accept us, he will love us, he will forgive us, and he will bless us. The message of repentance to the kingdom of darkness is worse than a nuclear bomb. Before Jesus could have an impact on the nation of Israel, John had to come and create a climate where people were turning from things that were not in agreement with the ways of the Lord and the requirements of their God. And it caused a stir in the realm of the spirit. The early church gets baptized in the Holy Ghost. Acts chapter 3 verse 18. Peter stands up and he says repent then. So that times of refreshing. So that times of revival can come from the Lord. I'm going to ask you to stand with me. You've been very patient this morning. As I've laid out a lot of principles. And I thank you for being so patient. We need to be students of the word because the word will bring us face to face with God's heart and his character. We read the word, we study the word, we go deeper in the word than is convenient to our flesh because I need to see God, you need to see God, and we will only see God through his word. In the word... God says, comfort my people. Go tell them they need to change. Love on them, but tell them they need to change. And I will restore them. Peter gets up and says, repent, and revival will come. This has been a great nation. But right now we've lost our way. And if the world has lost its way, then is the church being the light? If the world has lost its way, if America has lost its way, has the church been that preserving agent like salt is? We need to take accountability. And it's not about politics. It's about spiritual things. And it's about the church of Jesus Christ. I am well aware that if I don't preach this series and talk to your heart over the next few weeks, the turmoil that's going to be out in the world at the end of this election would be the turmoil that gets into the church of Jesus Christ. And I am telling you, your nation needs you. I am telling you, the kingdom of God needs you. Don't look through human eyes and don't reason with human rationale. Let the word of God be the basis of everything you do. We need to realize we have a spiritual war. And yes, we can vote. But let that vote speak. Salt. Let your vote be a vote that preserves moral issues. I'll talk more about these things in the ensuing weeks. But I am telling you, and I'm not ashamed to say, this is a prophetic message. Your pastor is stepping more and more into that apostolic calling and with that comes the prophetic voice of the Lord. 
I've raised up pastors and they're doing more and more of the shepherding and the counseling. I will not always be and I will not be available for counsel. I'm stepping more and more into the prophetic and the apostolic. We have at the moment 40 students in the middle of a pandemic, 40 students in Bible college, 40 paying students. I believe that God is going to turn my attention more and more to writing, to preaching, to putting training material together. I need your help to support this church. I need your help to get behind the pastors. I need your help to pray and to fast. I need your help to be the church that God's looking for in these days in the United States of America. Let's not fight each other. Let's not become divisive. Let's not let politics rule in the arena. Let's let spiritual issues be dictated by Jesus Christ and the Word of God. Can I get an amen? amen. Last Sunday I talked about the return. The return is about repentance. I encourage you for the next 10 days, I said this, it started on Rosh Hashanah, uh, the 18th, Friday night. It was the beginning of the Hebrew New Year. And we've been called to start praying, fasting, and repenting. I want you to vote. But more than voting, I want you to fast and pray. And I want you to cry out, God, change us, the church. Maybe you don't know what a revival can look like. Revival's not about uh, prophetic euphoria and manifestations. Revival brings cultural transformation. I started to talk to you about the 60s and the 50s. Let me tell you what happened. How did we get reset? Revival started to break out in churches with hippies. But in conventional churches with short back insides people. Why? Because little old women and little old men started to pray. And in the 60s, prayer intercessors started to rise up in little country churches and all over the nation. And what looked like from the 50s, social and civil unrest and changes that needed to come and still need to come, to rebellion against the government and fighting against Vietnam and burning the flag and detesting this nation and drugs and sex and rock and roll and lashing out in every way imaginable, the church of Jesus Christ started to pray. How did we get a reset? God hears the cry of His people. And there was a move of God and it was called the Jesus Movement. And long-haired hippies, heroin pushers were finding Jesus Christ and getting saved literally in the thousands. You won't read about it in your history book at school. But I'm telling you, it touched the world. I was living in Australia at the time and we were getting Jesus uh, people magazines in Australia and going to school wearing Jesus Loves You t-shirts with the one-way symbol on the back. Anybody here remember that? Yeah, that just dated you <laughs> and me. It created a reset 
in the culture of the United States of America. You say, well, did everyone get saved? No! But when the righteous are righteous, then the God of righteousness will start to influence the nation. No, I'm not saying everyone will get saved. But I am saying God will move. And it will affect this nation. You have more power than politicians. You have more power than kings and presidents. And you have more power than the one solitary vote that you're going to be able to cast in November. When you pray, you become the majority and you become the voice and the force of God in the land. I love the fact that you come here and you're a part of grace and faith. But if I had to change that for one thing, I would change it for every one of us rising up and being the church of Jesus Christ and being people who walk in righteousness, walk in humility, and pray and fast and cry out for the nations of the world. You did really good paying attention all that time. I'm not going to apologize that I went long. We have shallow sermons and we have shallow Christians. We need to go deeper in the Word of God. How many of you learned something today? We need to go deeper in the Word of God. Our nation depends on it. We need you. We need you to be who Jesus says you are. Amen. Let's close our eyes. If you have never asked Christ in your heart, there is a right way and there is a wrong way. There is sin. And we've all been guilty of it. And I surely am not here to throw a stone at anybody. In fact, if you were convicted enough and bold enough to fall in my arms and say, I... I'm the worst of sinners. I would just hug you and love on you and introduce you to a Jesus who loves you even more than me. We're not here to condemn, but we are here to preach the truth. There is a right way and there is a wrong way. And we need to repent. If you have never asked Jesus in your heart and you want to do that today, would you quickly raise your hand? You want to get right with God. You want to know that Christ is living in you and your sins are forgiven. Would you raise your hand if that's you? Thank you. Over here, thank you. Thank you. Up the back, thank you. God bless you. You can put your hands down. God bless you. And for those of you that are watching on live stream or on Facebook or on YouTube, thank you. God bless you. Repentance is not about feeling guilty and crying till you feel better. It's about humbling yourself and realizing we really do need God's help in our lives. I'm going to ask every one of you who raised your hands, I'm going to ask everyone in this building to repeat after me as we cry out and say, Jesus, come into my heart. Are you ready? Here we go. Dear God, I believe you love me. Jesus Christ, I believe you are God. And I've sinned. 
I've made mistakes. There are things in me that aren't right. I'm coming to you, Jesus Christ, to live in my heart and to be my Lord and Savior. I want you to forgive me. Yes, I want to feel better. I want to feel better about myself, but I want to live better. I'm asking you, Jesus Christ, to live with me and lead me. Forgive me of all my sins as I humble myself and then allow you to be my Lord, the one who leads me the rest of my life. In your name I pray, amen. As we close, church, I'm calling on every one of you. America needs us. Right after Pearl Harbor, we were practicing an isolation policy. We weren't going to be drawn into the war. How foolish of us the war was happening with us or without us. And sometimes in the church, we don't want to get involved. Some of us, we just don't like conflict. There's a war happening around us. You're called to war. After we were bombed on our own territory, Pearl Harbor, men and women started to sign up. Spiritually, we've been bombed. And spiritually, we need to respond. I'm asking every man and every woman to take the return and this time of repentance and prayer seriously. I've been speaking prophetically since the end of last year, and everything that God has told me to preach has been preached on a national platform and an international platform. We're hearing the voice of the Lord. Come on, church. America needs us, and we need God. The church of Jesus Christ has the capacity for even better. Let's go there. God bless you. I love you. I'm with you. Amen. God bless. God bless.